motherhood. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word as the state of being a mother, as in she juggles motherhood with a demanding career. I am happy and I am content and I think I would do it all over again. A true example for some mothers, but certainly not for all at least in the sense of one having a career to begin with. That has a lot to do with the society and how the society perceives young single mothers. Because sometimes motherhood can get in the way of life, potentially putting one's dreams on hold. When you get a child and uh, things do not work, the person that you got the child with, and you're forced to be on your own, it is quite overwhelming. I have been there, I know. But that's not to say it's a bad thing. Welcome to So You Wanna Know, a podcast by me, Nilanya Koa, a Kenyan journalist now living in London after 12 years of moonlighting in the world's second largest economy, China. In this edition of the podcast, I'll be talking to a mother a daughter, a former college mate and fellow Kenyan living abroad. I don't believe there's a perfect balance to juggling all these things, but I just find my way. We'll be chatting mostly about her personal motherhood journey and places where that journey has unexpectedly taken her. And more so, the trials and tribulations of being a young mother, geographically separated from her daughter, and how she beat the odds to follow her dream. For me, even to rise up took a lot of work. An inspiring story from Reggie Masharia. Reggie, thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Right. So you are in Australia. The last time I spoke to you was, I mean, I think the last time we saw each other was 2007. Yes, that was the last time I, I lay my my eyes on you. It's quite been a long time. How have you been? Let me ask you that question. Although I, I do follow you on social media, but in general, how have you been? I have been good. Life has been good. Of course, it has, has its ups and downs, but I'd say I've been good. I've been all right. Uh, much has happened since we <laughs> last saw each other. But uh, yeah, I would not complain. Right. And right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm sitting in London, you're sitting somewhere in Perth in Australia. Um, walk me through, um, how did you come to that decision to go to Australia? Because I do know, I mean, the last time I saw you, you were not a mother. Now you are a mother. But then when I saw your daughter is back in Kenya and you are in Australia, walk me through that decision making process of that moment when you decided I'm going to pack my bags and go to Australia and continue my education? Okay. One thing I know is that I've always wanted to come to Australia. That's one dream that I've had since I was in high school. And um, why Australia? I think I would say I used to have some, uh, our school used to have some wild books that I used to go to the library and just read about places and everything. And something was very intriguing about Australia. I think it was just the beaches and the sun, the sun and the people and the indigenous people of Australia. I mean, the rich history that Australia has. So it always fascinated me. And uh, 
having the fact that Australia has one of the best education systems in the world, it was on the top of my wish list. However, I think um, the timing was not ideal. And uh, I think other than other various factors that were going on in my life at that time, I think uh, the best time for me to come was when I was a mother. Because, uh, of course, life happened and I have I had to, to have things sorted out first. And then uh, when I felt like my life was ready to get on track is when I decided not to come down and sort of give myself a second chance, if uh, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Second chance is actually the correct phrase because um, a lot of, in, in just in general, as an experience, when you read about the internet, there are stories of uh, young young women like yourselves, like yourself, who had a child when they were still young. And then that kind of put a stop to their life because then from what I've heard from friends, from family, when you have a child, your life stops being yours. Because now everything, your concentration goes to the child. Um, but you made that decision and said, well, yes, I do have my daughter, my beautiful daughter. However, my life hasn't stopped yet. Why do you think some women choose to just put a stop there and like now decide I'm just going to concentrate on bringing up my child and, you know, give up on their dreams? Um why do you think some women do that and some women like yourself uh, realize, well, this must have happened in my life. It must have been sort of just that coma you need in your life uh, to take a breather and then you move forward. Why do you think some women are different from in terms of making these kinds of decisions? I think that has a lot to do with the society and how the society perceives uh, mothers or rather, let's say, uh, young single mothers. I think that's the right, the correct word to use. Young single mothers, because the, uh, from our culture, where we come from, when you get a child at uh, before, you know, let's say for example, before you're married or legally married, and uh, things do not work, the person that you got the child with, and you're forced to be on your own, that's a lot. It is quite overwhelming. I have been there. I know. And for me, even to rise up took a lot of work. It took a lot of work for people to talk me into my journey. I had my mom, I had my aunties, I had my pastor who walked with me and spoke to me and encouraged me. And I will not lie to you, it is so hard. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. But for me, my journey was not very easy to get back because I kept beating myself or rather like, there's just a way the society makes you feel some type of way. And I think I let it get into me because of course I was young. Okay, if that happened today, I think, I don't think, I think I would have handled it different, differently if it, it happened now that I'm older and I know I know things. But back then, I think the world just felt like it was just crumbling onto me. So I think it is hard for for the, for the girls or for the young ladies because that's how the society has made it look like, of which that should not be the case. So you mentioned you, you had your parents there, you had your family members there supporting you, you had 
um, your church leaders also there to sort of comfort you and encourage you. So it sounds like you had a very good support system with you. Do you think this is the problem with our society in general, where if you lack that support system as a single young mother, then usually it that, that seems to end things for you? Yes, I think that is the biggest problem that we have in our culture, because if you don't have the correct support system, chances of you getting lost in a rabbit hole is very high because you end up feeling sorry for yourself, which is not supposed to be the case. You end up feeling, you know, you you, you just need somebody to help to hold you by your hand and uh, to lead you on because it's very hard to come up by yourself. The support system is very important. When I think about it, because when I was living in Beijing, there is a time I invited my young sister because she's also a, a young mother. And at that time, my nephew was about four or five years old. So I did invite her to come to Beijing for uh, a month and she ended up staying for a couple of months. But in the beginning, it was really, really hard for her to leave her child behind, even though she was leaving him in really good hands in in our mother's hand, in, in his grandmother's hands. Um, and for you, you were go- you knew you were going to go for a really long time. How did you have that conversation with your daughter and said, sweetie, I'm going to go away for a while? I mean, what did you say to her? And I want to know what was that conversation about and how both of you were feeling? Whoa. I think <laughs> it was quite a challenge. I would say, because um, the first, when I was in the process of the, you know, the visa process and everything, I did not tell her first. I had to make sure that I told her the moment I got my visa. I got my visa and I had to travel to Australia within four days. So I had only four days to prepare her. So what I did the first time, okay, the first, the very first time during the process, I remember looking at her one night she was fast asleep and uh, I, I cried myself. I cried my heart out for like, I think for one hour. And I was so sad. I, I can't even describe the feeling that I had. It was so, so emotional, but I knew I had to do it. And I knew that the choice that I was going to make was going to not only be beneficial to me, but only to her. Because as you said before, that, um, once you become a mother, your life is never about you. It's about your children. Not completely, but a big chunk of your life or the decisions that you make will affect your children or rather, of course, will definitely affect your children. And that one I knew for a fact that I had to be strong because it was a chance that I I knew I wouldn't want it to get away, get it off my, my hands. I knew I had to get on with it I had to move, I had to push myself, and that was it. So what I did, I did a, a photo shoot with her, and I think, I, I don't know if you, if you remember. I thought you were doing an advertisement, or you were doing a photo shoot for an advert, because you had a picnic and stuff like that. It was beautiful. Exactly, that, that picnic. I knew, what, I knew I was going to come to Australia, but she had no idea. So I, I wanted to do something very beautiful that we were going to remember <laughs> for a long time. So I made sure I went all the, the whole way. I made sure that I did a very, a very 
beautiful yet intimate something between me and her. And uh, it turned out very well and she always remembers it and she she always cherishes those pictures as well. But um, towards my coming to, to be towards me, before I got my visa, shortly before I got my visa, I had to tell her that uh, now, mommy, look, I'm planning one, two, three, and uh, I could go or I could not. And uh, depending on what the immigration will say, I might go or I might not. But if they say that I'm going, you're going to stay with grandma and uh, she's, she'll be looking after you and I'll be calling you every day and things like that. And then I can't invite you for my graduation and all those nice things. She had, of course, she had mixed feelings. She was feeling, uh, I think, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't know how I put it. She was, I think she was confused. She did not know what it means for me to go. I think she thought I was just going to the shops and then come back. It still did not dawn on her until when I left. And when I left, she had the separation anxiety. She would cry and sometimes she's, she's just moody, you know, and the same for me as well. I remember my first Christmas here. I spent the whole afternoon, that Christmas afternoon, the whole afternoon crying <laughs> just thinking about my family because I had nobody here I knew no one <laughs> so it's it it, it, it's, it was really uh stressful for me at the beginning sometimes I would say I have a few uh moments when I have I'm really homesick and I just cry myself to sleep or just listen to music or just clean because I love I love spring cleaning that takes my stress away. So I just clean my house and in two hours, and now I'm back to normal. Yeah, but I will tell you for a fact, it was not easy. Do you listen to some Kenyan? Because when I, I know when I'm homes, when I'm feeling homesick, that's when I start listening to some Kenyan music. Sometimes I watch Kenyan TV um, because, you know, you, on, on YouTube, you can find some of the channels, you know, being broadcast. So I just sometimes put it as a background, you know say like oh my mom could be watching this at this time because I know what she's watching <laughs> I'm like oh you know trying to be watching it together <laughs> hey, I know I have those I, I'm, I'm surprised you still have the same things that I do but one thing when there's a song there's a particular song that I listen to that makes me cry like I I weep I think I, I weep but in my heart you know how you weep from inside <laughs> not from outside not physical tears but you weep from inside because of homesick and that song, I always like to play it because I think, I know it will make me sad, but somehow it makes me happy. But I just find myself listening to it when I'm homesick. And uh, it reminds me of, you know how in Nairobi you're walking and the pubs are playing song or you're, you're in a matatu and the song is played. I mean, it just brings all those beautiful memories from home and all that. Yeah, so that kind of thing makes me feel uh, be much better. And also watching, uh, I know my mom loves watching my vernacular, <laughs> the TV stations in my vernacular, uh, language. And I always love to watch those shows because it makes me, feel, <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm, I'm with her <laughs> or I'm in her house and we are watching together. Yeah. It's just, it, those, those things just, they make life much easier. I know. I know. I mean, I used to hate listening to Lingala music when I was, uh, back in Kenya but now um every chance I get I try to listen to Lingala music because it reminds me of the pubs at home 
Exactly. And that when you're saying that, I'm laughing because the particular song I'm telling you is a Lingala song. <laughs> And still to come, juggling, school, work, motherhood, from across the oceans. That has been a challenge, Nila. I will tell you for a fact, it's not been easy because there's a pressure that you have to achieve in every of the three areas. That and more when we return. You are listening to So You Wanna Know, a podcast by me, Nila Nyokowa. In this episode, I am chatting with Reggie Masharia on her personal journey of being a young mother and how her unexpected role of parenthood did not hinder her achieving her goals. But before we continue with our chat, I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to me on my Twitter and Instagram spaces. Just search for Nila Nyokowa. DM any questions, comments, or even suggestions you may have about this podcast. But now, the conversation continues. How is your daughter now? Has she now gotten used to the idea that mommy is, you know, I don't know how many time zones away? Yeah, she has, I would say she has gotten used to it. The only thing that made her sad is the fact that she would she could not travel to Australia because of course the borders are not open. There are still restrictions, uh, tough border restrictions in Western Australia, particularly. And uh, she was to come for my graduation, was to come and yeah, it makes me sad as well, but uh, it is what it is. So that that is making her sad, but uh, at the same time, she's very happy for me that I have finished and uh. It was important for me to finish this course because I knew she was looking up to me. How often do you guys communicate? I'll be very honest with you. When I was coming here, I I had told myself that I'd be calling her every day, (laughs) every single day in the evening. But of course, you know the time difference. By the time it's seven o'clock at home, when everyone is settled in the house, it's midnight here. So that was not going to happen. So with time, it just went to three times a week. Sometimes it's just on a Saturday when she's free and I know she doesn't have school and I have no work. You know, I'm a bit relaxed because the time difference and uh, here you have to keep working. You have school, you have work, you have everything going on. You have even, you know, mental stress. It's just too much. So speaking to her on text is, is much easier but on video calls or uh, like long phone calls, those ones we do during the weekend. Again, like you said, there's a time zone in there. And then there is, you know, you have a life, you have work, you have school, you have all these things going on. And then she also, the children her age are also always very, very busy. I mean, I barely can ever find my nephews and nieces because when they're at home, they're busy doing I don't know what. I know. <laughs> so the best I can do is sometimes leave just a video message um, then they will respond back maybe with a video message equally or they will give me a call at their convenience. And of course, when they sometimes kids don't know your schedule, so they will call whenever they call. That's true. <laughs> you work on the schedule. That's true. <laughs> what are your secrets for managing, you know, juggling school, work, motherhood from across the oceans? That has been a challenge, Nila. I will tell you for a fact, it's not been easy because there's a pressure 
that you have to achieve in every of the three areas, that is work and uh, study and mothering. And transnational parenting, what people do not know is transnational parenting is very, very tough. So juggling between the three has just been, oh my God, what would I, what, what do I even say? It's, I'll be very honest, I don't know how I've done it. For the three years, I just don't know how I have done it. I have managed to do well <laughs> at my work. I have managed to perform at school. I have managed to perform and mothering. I believe I have performed, but how I did it, I just do not know. Because I don't believe there's a perfect balance to everything, to juggling all these things. But I just I just find my way. Do you think it's all about, because I remember when we were in college, you are a very one of those very organized people. Do you think that organization has and, and discipline perhaps has really come in handy? Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, well, I think that as well, because when I came here, I knew there was no turning back for me. I knew I had to perform and I knew that I have child, I've left a child at home and I doesn't make me less of a mother. So still, I think that attitude is what has made me just keep pushing and uh, get to where I am now today. Absolutely. And do, do you, I'm sure you sit, sometimes you sit down and think about having your daughter in your life. She came actually probably at the best time because then she maybe pushed you harder. You know? yes. yes, she did. Actually, she 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 did push me hard. That's that's the word. She did push me hard, and uh, I am very privileged to have gotten her at uh, at that time because it really quite opened my eyes and uh, forced me to push even to push even harder because I knew that there is someone who's looking up to me, and I had to be responsible from the get go. So I knew that uh, my life has to be on track. So. Pushing hard, oh yes, she did. She did push me hard. And if you had to give an advice to someone sitting maybe in Kenya or somewhere around the world and is in that similar situation, in that similar space you were in many years ago, what would you tell them? I would tell them that's not the end of life. In fact, if they only knew how beautiful mothering is once you embrace it, it is it's the best thing that may have happened to them and don't put your dreams on hold because of the situation that you, that you found yourself in. Yes. Things might change. Yes. But that doesn't mean that it is the end of life because I know so many people think now, you know, I've been, for example, if I've been left by myself, by the, the person who's responsible for this child and I have to fend for this baby by myself what I would say is that if they could get somebody to be with them and uh, give them positive vibes, that's all they need. Just that support system is all they need. There's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. So to summarize all that up, it's basically just maybe that's one way the universe is telling you, well, it's time to recalibrate your life make sure you seek out some form of support system that could come from your family members. And if your family members are not there for you, I'm sure friends or even neighbors sometimes can come in quite handy. That's true. And being there for 
these last three years, how has it changed you? What are some of the things you've learned about yourself being far away from Kenya, being far away from your family, far away from your daughter and being in a new culture? How has that changed you in terms of your your view of the world in general? Right. I think the very first thing that has changed my perspective is on family. Number one, I think when I was back home, I knew, okay, family is important and that's just it. But until, it was not until that I set my foot here, I knew how important family is because once you're away from your people, it's a totally different ballgame. It's quite something. You, you miss them all the time. They are constantly on your mind because you don't know what, what's going to happen or what's going on, or especially when you watch the news back home and you're like, oh, my God. And especially in these times of coronavirus, my God, our lives have just been on the edge because you just don't know. So I think valuing family was one of my very greatest lessons that I have learned in the three years I've been here. And also opening up my eyes to new cultures. I've always been an open-minded person, but the, past, the, the moment that I came here, I've been able to learn so much about people and to be more uh, receptive of people and uh, of different cultures. And so many things like, have taught me so I've learned so much in the fact that uh, the things that we we might think are okay back home may not be okay for another person and so the societies are different the cultures are different so getting together as different cultures working together as in such a dynamic and you know Australia being one of the most multicultural countries in the world we have so many cultures here so it is important that someone has an open mind when you're, you know, when you're doing your things. And it's quite exciting because you learn so many things. You get so many friends from so many different countries. It's just amazing. Tell me about culture shock. So you've arrived in Australia. This is the first time you're living abroad. Tell me about the culture shock you experienced, because this is something everyone, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're moving from your hometown, from your comfort zone to a different culture, and you know nobody there, you, it's going to hit you. Yeah, I think uh, I would say the sun in Australia, girl. <laughs> oh, the sun is so hot. And every time I, sometimes I'm, I, I, they ask me, how do you find the weather? And that's the, and maybe I say the sun is very hot because during summer you're sweating. It's just so hot. It's beautiful, but it's sweaty, especially when you're outside, you're driving your, your, your whole hand on your right hand because it just, because of the sun is just, it just turns, you know, but uh, the, you, you, you'd find people saying, why are you complaining? And it's quite sunny in Africa. It's quite hot in Africa. But I tell them we are just by the equator. Like Nairobi is just below the equator. So we don't know, we don't have extreme weather. So if it's uh, rain, it's just good rain. If it's if it's uh, during the sun, it's not, excuse me, it's not as hot as it is, you know. It doesn't go to extreme, it doesn't go to 40 degrees. <laughs> 
And that's the same thing I struggle explaining to people when I complain, like, oh my goodness, it's so hot. And they're like, you can't mean that because you are from Africa. I'm like, yes, it is sunny every day, but it's not it's not hot. Just because the sun comes out, it doesn't necessarily mean it's 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 freaking hot. Um and, and people still find it hard to to understand that, you know. Yeah. I think it's also what they they are exposed to because they don't know much about uh, how dynamic Africa is. So maybe what they might watch is the you know the hottest part of parts of Africa, the deserts and everything. And you cannot blame them because what is put out there by either the media or maybe however much uh, is put out there is all they know. So I kind of somehow resonate, resonate with them and I just, you know, just explain to somebody and just let them know, you know, the dynamics of Africa and the beauty of all those things. Yeah, and all of them, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, majority of them are very uh, keen to know more about Africa. So it's always a win-win situation. Um, I'm curious to know your first winter because I remember my I will never forget my first winter when I first moved to Beijing and you know when you see so it's snowing outside but then after it stopped snowing then the sun came out and in the Kenyan's way of thinking I was like ah because the sun is out it must be really warm so I go out and I just have like a really thin um, jacket and that was the worst mistake Ever. And I haven't prepared myself because I thought, oh, well, it's not going to be that cold. Because in Kenya, we're not used to, you know, having clothes for the winter, having clothes for the summer, having clothes for the spring and autumn. It was all new to me. How, how did you get around that? Well, I would say I came smack in the middle of winter when I came to Australia. But uh, the western part of Australia does not snow, but it's cold and it's, it rains sometimes. But I don't know why that, particularly that winter, I froze. I was freezing. It was so cold. But um, coming to 20, 2019 and 2020 and 2021 winter, they've been good. They've, I think my body has learned to cope with it. But the very first one, for some reason, I have never understood why I froze. I think it's just the new climate. I don't know. But it was not easy for me. And I remember I had my electric blanket on until the beginning of January. And everyone who was Australian was wondering what's wrong with me. Why are you having your heat? Why? Just why? (laughs) I did not turn off my electric blanket until the, the beginning of January. But I think my body has adjusted with time. You know, I've never actually used an electric blanket in my life. I'm so scared of that thing. Absolutely terrified. I know because, well, my friend also tried to sell the fear to me, but I, <laughs> I think I was, you know, I've, I've always loved one. I've always wanted, I've always loved to have one. Before I used to sleep with it, like I, I turn it on. I sleep the whole night when it's on. I know it's very dangerous. But it was working for me. But for now, I just warm it up and then just leave my bed. Before I go to bed, like half an hour. And then by the time I get into bed, I turn it off and then get into my blankets. Okay, cool. Now, to wrap it all up, would you do this all over again? If you had to do it, if you had to go back to that moment of making that decision and moving to Australia, would you do it again? Yes, I would do it again. 
because uh, of course, after we finished college and I had started working, I knew my trajectory of life. I knew how I'd, I'd want things to go and the plans that I had. And that's when I got my child, but uh, things did not go as I had planned earlier. But uh, that's just the way life was meant to be for me. And I think I am happy and I am content and I think I would do it all over again. And that's it from this edition of So You Want to Know. Many thanks to Reggie Masharia for that insightful and thought-provoking talk. If you did like this episode, again, DM me on my Instagram or Twitter pages and I'll sure get back to you. If you have any questions on topics you would like me to chat about or you have a great story to tell or even know someone who has a great story to share, you know what to do. But for now, for me, Nilan Yakoa, thanks for listening. I'll see you again in the next episode.